welcome back to another episode of the Impossible Until Possible podcast. Today's topic is around the property segment, and I am honored to be joined by Mike Aspinall, who is a former athlete, and he has then turned his hand to property and into the property development space. So uh, that fits in very nicely with the trifecta game that we constantly talk about on the podcast, balancing health and fitness and using that to push your business results forward. So Mike, first and foremost, thanks very much for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks for, for having me, Ryan. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak to a like-minded individual and uh, just discuss the, the way to get it done. Yeah. Uh, so so um, let's start with your story. I mean, I um, I went to a big rugby school, so a uh, big fan of rugby, played a lot of rugby myself, uh, not to the high levels that you have, but very interested in it. Um, how, how, did, how did the early career start and pan out and and then kind of let's give us the backstory on that so everyone knows who you are really. Yeah, I think um, I came through through school with a, uh, a, a real steely focus about what I wanted to achieve. That's probably not what my teachers would tell you. Um, but the fact that I wasn't listening to a huge amount they had to say was because I was, I was pretty focused on what I wanted to do, which was I think the game went pro in rugby union maybe um, three or four years before I left school. So when I was coming through sort of starting GCSEs, the game had gone pro and I'd said, look, that's that's what I want to do. Um, <clears throat> you obviously had the, your usual guidance of the teacher saying, yeah, that's that's not going to happen, um, which was music to my ears because I was like, right, okay, here we go then. So, um, you know, I was at a state school, um, state educated, where you don't get a huge amount of professional rugby union players even, even now coming through that pipeline. But, um, that's what I did. So, um, yeah, I was, I was pretty focused on that. And when I was 18, I'm from Leeds, sat in Leeds office at the moment. When I was 18, I moved down to London um, to sign for Saracens, having played for England sort of at schoolboy level. So, um, and, and rugby was my first passion, my first love. And I was a really sporty kid when I was young. Um, turned my hand to, you know, we all played football. I, I wasn't bad with both feet, played tennis to quite a high level, but I just loved the camaraderie and the teamship and, and collective sort of performance of rugby and obviously the physicality of it. I don't think anybody plays rugby and doesn't enjoy that. Um, it wouldn't last, last very long. Yeah. So, you know, that was me. And then um, <clears throat> really, if we're honest, I had, I had the mind for it, um, but probably had the body for, for goal for tiddlywinks. And uh, <laughs> About seven operations later, I was I was sort of told by the by the team doctor I was playing for Leeds uh, Leeds Tigers at the time back home, and um, I remember I was sort of twenty six years old, and the, the doc said to me, he said, "Mate, if, if you ever want to hold your kids, you need to think about a new career." Now, unfortunately for him, I was twenty six at the time. I think I had about four girlfriends, and definitely wasn't after children. I, that was uh, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> well, no, definitely wasn't like kids, wasn't on my radar. So um, he, he kind of missed the point there. Um, he missed the spot as far as making an impact on a young Mike Aspinall. So I played until I was about uh, 30 um, on a shoulder that I'm hoping to get replaced in the next couple of, couple of months now. And um, but, but what that did lead me was was to sort of, it did make a bit of an impact. And I, I, I left, um, I, I didn't re-sign 
at Leeds and I moved across to Harrogate um, because it wasn't playing as much as I wanted to. And I knew I needed to transition into a, into a career with a little bit more longevity, which was sort of coaching as well. Mm-hmm. So I had this nice, you know, the as we said before, you know, the, the top line is, you know, professional rugby player turned property developer. But realistically, it was um, professional rugby player turned player coach, turned professional rugby coach, director of rugby, turned business owner, you know, property investor developer. So there is a huge amount of transition um, and, and collective skills that I, that I did build up over time there, um, away from just the, the sporting mindset, which obviously hold me in good stead as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, I've talked on the podcast quite regularly. Um, I used to be an international swimmer. So um, the discipline that I learned from basically swimming up and down a pool from the age of seven, I think, um, you know, filters through. And then I also, you know, the team sport element. How much of a role do you think, you know, talk about transferable skill sets there? How much do you think that, your makeup that was created now for your business results was done back then. I think massive for me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like enormous. I can't, I can't give that enough value. And but also, you see what we have done. Like, um, obviously, we're talking about a property sector and property space. But the Northern Property Partners Group, the sort of branded behind me, is is a group of businesses. You know, with the best part of twenty employees, with a with an environment where we're a very sort of growth team ship environment where I'm, I'm really trying to produce great investments for other people, produce an income stream for ourselves. But more than that, really try and provide um, jobs and, and growth and opportunity for the people that work here as well. So that that concept for me is is really what I was trying to do as a director of rugby as well. You know, we were, we were there to, to cook, try and, you know, win leagues, win rugby games. But I was really obsessed with trying to create an environment where people could um, grow and, and better themselves. And I, and I have brought that. I think that's that's one of the things that really does it for me. That I take a huge amount of um, intrinsic pride and and um, nourishment from. And, and I have brought that and tried to put it into a business, which is easier said than done. But um, yeah. You know, that, uh, so so that that bit, yeah, hundred percent. You know, the, the concept. Sorry, go. No, go on, continue. I was going to say, the concept around it of property and and finance and everything is was was kind of completely foreign to me at the time. Yeah. So, what was the um, what what was the main transition from you know leaving, I guess, the director of rugby to property, what was it that attracted you or how did you go about that or did you just kind of fall into it by mistake like some people do as well? Yeah, I th- it was maybe a little bit by mistake but it was based around the motivation to... Uh, I, I started to see that the dreams that I was following were very personal and, and, and in some respects a selfish dream for me. Um, as I said, you know, I wasn't listening to what the teachers were saying. I was skipping class and going down to the gym. So I knew what I wanted, and I'd followed that path for a long time. But Hannah, my wife, and I um, now had just become pregnant, and we had our first little girl who's now eight years old. And it was in within that emotional roller coaster. I recognised the the path I was on, the dreams I was following were for me, but they probably weren't going to 
um, create the life that I actually now aspire to for, for my daughter. So, and that, and that was because I was doing really well in, in um, coaching. I was offered contracts in the championship and I'd already coached in the premiership. But the life of a professional rugby coach is you are moving around the country and maybe France and, and wherever else for your next contract and you're hoping you know, to, to stay put and find some stability. But you're probably not going to find wealth and you're probably not going to find stability um, mm-hmm. over time. But, so, and that's what I wanted for, for my – I'm not a, a massive – needy guy from a financial point of view um, you know, nice car nice watches lovely home and, and the rest of it now and I always say I'm no happier now than I was before in my own skin but from for my family there was there was no limits about what I wanted to accomplish and the choices that I wanted for them so we set aside sort of like how do we create more choice and time and freedom they, and the drivers are all around our family and with that, we sort of fell into educating ourselves in a different way of thinking through property, you know, property being the vehicle, really. Um, yeah. Like to invest. Um, looks at yourself, Ryan, a little bit. So it's a similar sort of a financial story to you. Started to invest with not a lot whatsoever and um, very creative and worked very hard. And probably two years later, I left rugby um, with a certain degree of choice sort of through the finances that we've done predominantly in HMO. And then, um, you know, the MPP group and, and the the businesses and the developing that we've done since then have, have come off the back of me investing my time now into into business and property rather than into rugby or anything else. Yeah. So it's it's I'm assuming you did the property gig alongside your job, sounds like that. I think most most people do go down that route. Um, and quite often, you know, I get asked, you know, how much time will I need to, to do? And my answer is always, how much do you want it? Yeah. You know, because you've got to crunch the hours in if you want it and you've got to put it around, you know, you've got to do viewings around lunch hours or on your drive away from work on home or whatever that looks like. So you touched base there, you um, went into HMO. Was that sort of a rent-to-rent HMO to get you, you started or, or were you kind of buying straight away or, or leasing? Like how, how did you how did you acquire your first your first property? Yeah, you know, we, we bought we bought property straight away. And and really that was just more what we were taught. Um I think we're going back eight years now and I think rent to rent was I was aware of it and we actually tried to pull off a couple of rent to rent um, deals early on, never actually managed to seal the deal. But we bought and we, we bought on borrowed money. Um, we always reflect, you know, very often we talk about it and think it was probably more naivety than anything else. Um, you know, the, the the risk assessment was probably not as um, diligent as it would be now. And, and we got away with it fundamentally. Um, we, we did some HMOs in an area where we would, you know, you would have been told it wouldn't work. Um, we bought houses without planning and, and, and managed to get planning. And all the stuff that, you know, it's high risk, high reward. And we were fortunate that we got away with two or three mm-hmm. and managed to, to keep, to get the ball moving. And then obviously it created some, some time. And then we started sourcing properties and creating other income streams off the back of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of, you just got to get going, haven't you? That's the main thing. I think you, you end up with, 
I mean, I, I definitely didn't have a short-term rental service accommodation strategy in my mind when I thought I'm going to get into property, but I've kind of ended up in that direction. And I think um, you speak to a lot of property investors who've done well for themselves and they definitely didn't probably say, I'm going to be that. They just kind of thought, I'm going to get into property and they just kind of make it work. I think there's a real action orientation that you see with a lot of, you know, the successful people where I think in a, in a property sector in the education sector there is a huge amount of paralysis by analysis mm. it'll just you know we Hannah, Hannah my wife like she's like the highest red personality you can have like she just wants to take action all the time uh, I've got to sort of strategize a little bit for us but yeah I, I just think there's a huge action orientation where get going you know back yourself that you're going to find a way we would have figured it out if we'd left if we'd had to leave money in the first few deals we'd have figured it out Hmm. you become somebody that can solve your problems and your bigger problems and you know it, it, those those sorts of lines are very true and yeah. it's, sometimes I'm sure it's said to you right, you look back and think geez, how did we do that but um, you know it's always the next challenge isn't it yeah I think um, I think building any business is just really solving your own problems isn't it you know and you get and I think as you said there you're quite naive at the beginning you don't really realize what problems you're bringing up but you're still somehow as an entrepreneur try you figure it out and you solve it and you move on and you make you make it work and then all right it might not be as profitable or as good a deal as it probably could have been if you knew what you knew now but it still worked it got you going and and then and then you built from that and that's where the wealth of experience come from isn't it it's not it's not meant to be a plain plain sailing everybody be doing it wouldn't they yeah for sure so um so what does the current day portfolio look like or business strategy look like obviously you were touch base on hmos before is that continued or what's kind of what yeah we um i think it's probably fair to say we the old analogy of focus you know follow one course until successful i think we did that in the first instance we we were training various strategies we, we found a bit of a niche with HMO. We, we went and we hit that and, and we, we built a portfolio of around sort of 80, 90 ASTs in, in the in HMO section. We sold a few of those in the, in the subsequent years. Um, we did that and we sort of built a, a kind of a, you'd have been there, so you financial freedom figures. We, we, were, we built a very robust, you know, financial freedom through HMO. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, I was starting to source property and we, we started to grow what is now the MPP group where we were sourcing investments for the people. We've got a construction business within the group, interior design business and a letting agency. So we were sort of building this at the same time. Um, and to be honest, if, if we looked at maybe eight years, I think we spent sort of three years building our, three to four years building our financial security. And then probably the last, probably the middle three years, really building business, um, mm-hmm. and and varied income streams, and, and a bit more wealth, you know, and, and cash from that. And then last year we decided to diversify. Well, the last couple of years we've diversified with with developing, developing to sell, developing to keep, um, and also sort of social housing and buy to let. So. Last year, we just decided to try and, well, our, our target was to add another another six figures um, 
another, another sort of 10 grand a month cash flow to the portfolio, but we didn't want to do it through HMOs. We wanted to do it through single let and get that stability in the portfolio and a bit of more variety. So, so yeah, that, that was, um, that was a hectic, hectic year last year. Huge amount of mortgages and an absolutely terrible time to be doing any mortgages. <laughs> oh, Christ, so. yeah, they can't, they can't some processes not being the quickest lately. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, to the degree where we decided we're, we're probably not going to buy many, if any, single let sort of just single units this year, but we're we're going hunting for a bit a bit of a chunkier um, blocks of flats to to keep and just sort of rent out and actually just see if we can see if we can do another ten grand a month just uh, in a two or three transactions rather than in like fifteen. Yeah. Have you have you touched based on service accommodation at all? Um, yeah, got a great service conversation story. Uh, we did some, we did a development in Leeds probably a couple of years ago now. Um, COVID time sort of blows the mind, doesn't it? But we did, we did um, fifteen apartments in Leeds, and we decided to keep the, the two, the, the ground floor, the two lower ground floors, lower ground floor and ground floor, and keep them in the portfolio and run those as service apartments. And we we kitted them out, and they were they were absolutely beautiful. Management teams in place and. And it was all ready to go, and then COVID hit. Mm. Um, and I think the the specific location was really kind of off the back of Leeds City Centre. Quite had parking, quite nicely positioned for um, professionals in in Leeds. Good weekend trade, may, and maybe pick up some contractors around the side. Um, and then COVID hit, and obviously nobody works in the city centre anymore. And we 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 did okay. Like we kept afloat with them. Um, for six, six, nine months, contractors through the doors, NHS on sort of longer term lets, and, and we did okay. To be honest, we sorry, we, we subsequently then we said, look, let's let's move on. So we sold we sold the flats and, and we moved on. But um, as ever, you know, we could have we could have uh, we didn't need the cash, so we could have held on to it and gone through. But um, yeah, so a little bit of experience there, but. Um, I don't know whether I don't know whether it'd be something that I'd rush to do again. Um, I think I'm sort of in the we're so busy within our businesses as well that I think in the investing model at the moment, simplicity is probably what I'm what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think um, well, we didn't have guests for over a year on a weekend, so you know, as you say, the um, I know I know we we've been through the, the run the mill with that. I think. It does take a certain type of character and business model, I think, to pull off, especially if you run it yourself, serviced accommodation, um, rather than using an agency. But even when you use an agency, you, you know, you you want to keep on top of them, you want to keep track of the numbers, you want to, you know, keep keep an eye on things. Because at the end of the day, it's your properties and your business. Isn't it? And, um, but yeah, it, it is amazing how property. There's so many different strategies, and everyone that I speak to, whether it be on the podcast, or whether it be you know just in general property circles everyone's spinning it in a total different way you know the same bricks and mortar that stand there's so many different strategies that you can pull out of that 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 product um and you know how how have you found the move into development um i know i've kind of went into that uh recently over the last sort of 12 months or so and um with its frustrations, there's a hell of a lot more to learn about it. That's for sure. I think it's not just like doing a little refurb on a on a terraced house. But um, how did you find the transition? 
Um, slow, boring, um, and, uh, and and quite difficult. Yeah, to be honest with you, as you say, it's it's not like scaling up a bigger refurb, is it? It's it's a completely different game to me. You know, we're playing if if uh, if if HMOs and Vitalettes are a football, then you know this is American football, and it's just you've got to understand the rules of the game. Everything goes along with it, and and what's required to, to make it successful. And to be honest with you, we've done we've probably completed sort of four decent sized projects over, I don't know, sort of seven, eight million quid's worth of property. And every single one's had some really pretty serious lessons. And I've yeah. been guilty of preaching on, on social media a fair bit. Like, in my opinion, based on my experience only, you've got to sort your cash flow out before you look to do that. You know, I've been left holding the baby on, on developments that have gone way over its construction time and, and interest payments are coming out of everywhere and um, it's it can be it can be difficult and I, I, fortunately for us I would say it's been a really good learning experience because we have pretty robust cash flow in our portfolio and we've got pretty robust cash flow from, from a business point of view so that developing arm sits outside of that and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, well, we're not relying on that money and we can afford to pay pay interest payments or whatever. But yeah, mate, it's, it's, it's super, super, super different. And we're about to line up to go into sort of um, fifth and sixth ones this year. And, and probably only now I'm thinking, right, I can actually plan my way through this and see how this is going to work and probably learn enough lessons um, for this next one to be the best one we've done, I think the one we just came out of the back of was was better. So you know, each each time we play the game, we've got a little bit better at it, if you will. Um, now, yeah. now, I think that goes from even your first buy refurbish sort of deal, doesn't it? You know, you 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 probably even you know you look at I look at some of the service accommodation units that I set up in the beginning to what the standard we put them in now, and I'm just like Jesus Christ, how did anyone even stay there? You know, because um, you just didn't really think about the stuff that you think about now, you know, having seen so many, you know, thousands of guests through the properties and stuff. So, yeah, I think where did, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, education and informing yourself and, you know, getting around experts and using experts. Did you start with your own education before you started investing or did you just kind of wing it, as they say, and just figure it out along the way? And what have you kind of done since to, to sort of inform yourself and keep the... No, I think um, for a start, there was a, there was a time for me where I'd just finished my sort of uh, level four, like last last level I could do in, in rugby union from a coaching perspective. So it's kind of like a post-grad sort of level coaching. And I'd actually really enjoyed that process from being the guy I said, you know, wasn't that interested at school. I'd really enjoyed the growth that I had there. And I remember sitting back and thinking, well, what's what's next? Like, I'm hungry to grow. And I really deep-dived into personal development at that stage. I think in line with the birth of my daughter and thinking about, well, how do we change this sort of financial constructs as well? So personal development for me was that first step. And we plugged property into that. So we, we, we Ham and I, sort of um, committed to 25 grand's worth of education. We were... We were those idiots that, that paid through the nose and, and came out smelling like roses. So, you know, in, in the long run. So we, we spent a lot on our education. Mm-hmm. 
there's a lot to be said about the property education sector. There's loads of different people, loads of different players. The, I, I think one way or another, if you're going to muck about with property, you need to know what you're doing. Like it's, it's an expensive game, isn't it? You can lose a lot of money. Um, now, I view education just even more, uh, even more valuable to us. You know, we the amount of activity that I have going through, you know, sat in, in the boardroom or office at the moment. The amount of activity going on out there, a small nugget of quality information. In, in my team's hands worth hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to me. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with continuing my own education and trying to get around people that are, you know, the real deal and, and have the integrity and, and that you can speak to on a level and uh, and continue to learn because that's the other thing about property, isn't it? As, as you've already said, Ryan, like there's so many different ways of doing it. Nobody knows it all. Um most people sort of find something that works well for them and they, they, they hammer it. I quite enjoy the diversity of everything that we do and um, yeah, really keen to sort of continue to learn and grow and, um, and, and, you know, at some stage pass some knowledge on as well. I think that's something that we're probably going to do through the MPP group this year, which will be the first time is, is invite people in through the door a little bit more and, and see what we do you know, kind of the, the 20 guys sat here, what, what we're doing on a daily basis and try and help people to practically learn from what we're doing as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I think um, it doesn't surprise me, your answer. I think, um, you know, you you study enough successful people or you look into enough, um, you know, people that are successful and they've all swear by, you know, constantly educating themselves, getting informed, you know, and, you know, I I see my like I allocate a certain amount of money per year um, to you know my own development, but also my team as well. I put them on courses, I give them mentorships, then that sort of stuff. And as you say, it's a, it's an investment and it's an ROI return, isn't it? You know, you spend twenty five k, well, you're probably going to get two hundred and fifty k out of it over the course of you know x number of years. And um, you know, so your answer doesn't surprise me. Um, and you know, I think um, I'm sure you guys have got a lot to offer when you do venture into the coaching space to to help other, you know, property investors not make the mistakes. Because ultimately, that's that's one of the key things, isn't it? You know, it, it's having that sort of listen. Don't do that. You're going to make a mistake there, but do this instead. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. <laughs> I wish we were better at that. I, I really do because we're also. I, I said earlier about you know action taking. As much as I value education we do have a terrible habit of sort of piling on regardless and learning best by banging our heads against walls but um as you say there's as much value in not doing certain bits and and avoiding the odd bump as there is actually having the knowledge to get started in the first place yeah for sure i mean one way or another you're going to pay for it aren't you so you know (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, listen mate it's been an absolute pleasure I know you're a busy guy so I don't want to keep you too long um, how can people find you if they want to reach out to you um, we're, I'm on uh, Instagram at Mike Aspinall Property the uh, MPP group is uh, at www.northernpropertypartners.com if you want to sign up there and have a look at what we do and then uh, yeah the, the two of those probably the best places to go but always happy to to help if we can and uh, just help people move along. Can I just ask you a quick question, Ryan, before before we go? Go on, go on then. You talked about your um, 
the swimming and mm. uh, you know how do you how long ago was that for you I swam from the age of seven till I was 18. Um, I was meant to go to Bath University on a scholarship and swim for Team GB, but I didn't go. Um, but I just had had enough of swimming by that point. <laughs> um, but yeah. And is it, but is, you've obviously kept, you know, physical health and performance at the forefront of, of your strategy. Is that, is that, is that a conscience? Is that a conscious decision to maintain your levels of, you know, do you tell yourself that you, you need that or, or is, that, is that a conscious choice or is that something that you just believe you couldn't be without? Um, no, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, I, I've all, I, you know, probably a bit like you, I played every sport under the sun as a kid, you know, at school and, you know, just got stuck into to everything I could. And, um, and then I, as I got past 30, I started to feel the pain a bit more and start to struggle getting out of bed. And um, it was actually my nutrition that was letting me down as opposed to anything. And then um, probably the last five years since really getting in, stuck into my own businesses and, you know, becoming, you know, on, on my own merit CEOs and all that sort of stuff, I, I feel like I run it a million miles an hour. So if I'm not fit, I, I, just, I just couldn't do it, you know. So I think it plays for me a vital part in fueling the tank to be able to then produce on the business end or, you know, make sure I've got enough energy left to go and play footy in the garden with the kids once I get home and things like that. So I think, you know, quite often we can spend so much of our energy at work that we then don't show up at home and, you know, and and, and that can have a, a ripple effect of, of negative consequences as well. So it's very much a conscious choice now, but I think for me, because I've, created such a lot it's like part of my life now that i actually enjoy doing it it's not pain you know and, and i enjoy going to the gym I, I schedule two hours every day and i enjoy that time and um and then i know what the benefits are so well i'm massively the one thing you say is <clears throat> just respecting the sort of um the level that you're actually operating at and the amount of energy it takes to do that is something that i sort of nodding away to obviously we've both been big believers in health but I think when you are doing everything we do and that is something I've said to some of the team who've quite aspirational is like I don't I come in to work and I maybe don't work the hours the flat out amount of hours that some of our team do because I don't have to and it's it's the choices that we've created but the intensity and the the amount we get through mm. is unparalleled by them and I'm kind of like you know Take take note of that because the the amount of energy and the output is yeah. is kind of off the chart to somebody sort of sitting there and just plodding away on the on the laptop. So trying yeah. to create that energy on a on a consistent basis. Yeah, and I think you know you, you've got to. I mean, it's quite funny actually. My quite tiny my my handyman was in the office this morning doing a few bits and bobs. Um, I've just moved offices, and he's like, "You've been in here an hour and you've done nothing." I was like, "Listen, Dan, I've been up since four thirty a.m." I've already, I've already got five, six hours on you. Uh, you know, and a fair point, you know. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of getting up early, getting my stuff done, and as you say, getting that focus two, three hours in, and, and that is probably like the majority of people's eight-hour working days, you know. And um, But, um, but yeah, listen, Mike, I'm sure we'll catch up um, over the coming months, and I'll definitely keep watching you on Instagram and seeing your success stories. I think it's fantastic. Um, thanks for being a super guest. And um, we'll catch up soon.
Thanks a lot, mate. Great to meet you. Cheers. Bye now.